lack of enthusiasm for attending church is by no means a new phenomenon. Way back in 1927, so almost 100 years ago, Scottish preacher J.P. Struthers published a book that was entitled More Echoes from the Morning Watch, so evidently he had previously put out a book that was simply Echoes from the Morning Watch. But a special feature of this particular volume was that in it he included 12 reasons for not going to church. Now, it was very tongue-in-cheek, that's for sure. And with every one of the 12 reasons, he had a picture that illustrated the point that was being made. Now, several examples, we're not going to give you 12 today, but several examples, I think, will be bringing attention on areas that we are very familiar with. Number one, we had a lad and he was keeping gold at a football match before 9,000 spectators, but it was noted he rarely goes to church. His reason, his excuse was that he has such a long walk to walk down the aisle to his father's pew that's near the front of the church, and he just hates to have people staring at him. Then we had a second occasion where we have a man that doesn't go to church now, and the reason was because his minister passed him by one day without recognizing him. And so with the accompanying illustration in this one, we have the former churchgoer pictured on a very rainy day with his head down with a coat and the hood pulled tightly around him, obscuring the greater part of his face. But he charged the minister with not seeing him. Now, you could well pass me in the street, and I would not recognize you unless I have my glasses on, and usually I don't walk around town with the glasses on, so please do excuse me if I don't call your name. Then we had a third instance, and this woman who was out in the rain, and she's checking the garden to see if the showers have brought up any of her annuals. She hasn't gone to church for three consecutive Sundays because her umbrella is broken. And it's noted here that the distance from her front doorstep to the church porch was exactly 36 yards or meters. Then we have a fourth example of a man, and he's playing the Scottish bagpipes. And he doesn't go to church because the children who sit in the pew behind him, they sing so loud, and they don't sing in tune either. Now we have another woman. And in the picture, she's in a rocking chair, and she has given up going to church because it's so empty, and it's so depressing, and she's always meeting people who have the same feeling like herself, and just like her, they prefer to stay at home on the Sabbath day and read their Bible to themselves, and it's just so different to what it was when she was young. And she often says she sits down and she thinks of the days when the church was crowded to the door and when she and others had many a time to sit on the pulpit stairs. But, she says, there doesn't seem to be the same earnest spiritual life that there used to be. And that's why people, including her, are no longer at church. And J.P. Struthers just said under that, Thy hypocrite. Staying at home on the Lord's day, 
is a choice that more of God's people are opting for in this age. Without question, there's a growing indifference and apathy among God's people towards church attendance and towards public worship. And I hear many who profess to be the Lord's people, and they're saying, I don't believe that you have to go to church to be a Christian, or I can worship God in my own way at home, or out in the fields, or in the garden, or a little dander into the woods there, or up a mountain, just as well as I could ever worship Him in church, or in this internet digital age, I hear it's just too handy, Mr. Brown, to sit at home with the iPad and the computer and watch the church service from the comfort of my armchair with a cup of coffee beside me. However, Can a person be a Christian and not attend church? Can a Christian survive apart from a church? You know, some Christians have no choice, and that's absolutely true. They're trapped, maybe in a hospital bed, or they're working in an isolated area, and there's no church existing in that area, or no church to which they could go that they know preaches the full-orbed gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if they're in those circumstances, God certainly understands their situation, and He recognizes the sincerity of their hearts, and He is sufficient to care for all of their needs. You can still get to heaven, of course you can, even if you cannot go to church. However, it is a different matter for those who could attend church, but they're not motivated sufficiently, they're too lazy, they put other things like entertainment or amusement before God, they harbor bitterness and hostility towards other people that they know are going to be there, and so they say, well, if they're there, I'm not going, and they absent themselves from the meetings on that basis, or, 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 let's go down Struthers' 12 excuses The poet said, some stay home because it's cold, and some because it's hot, and some because they're getting old, and some because they're not. Some declare they don't enjoy, not a problem here, the singing of the choir, and others because their fellow saint aroused their wrathful ire. Alas, alas, our excuses groan to drive our thoughts from God and turn us from the house of prayer, the place our fathers trod. I share the view of one former president of the United States of America, President Theodore Roosevelt. And he said, yes, I know all the excuses. I know that one can worship the Creator in a grove of trees or in a man's own home, but I know, as a matter of cold fact, the average man does not thus worship. And I don't know about you, but the guys who tell me I can worship God as readily on a mountain are not actually doing that. It is an empty excuse, and it's no better than that. And these excuses that most people come up with for not faithfully attending the house of God are usually just a smokescreen to hide sloth and sin. Can I be a Christian then without going to church? It is possible. It's something like being 
I'm a student, but I don't go to school. I'm a soldier, but I don't join the army. I'm a footballer, but I don't have a team. I'm a scientist who never shares his findings. I'm a bee without a hive. Why go to church? Well, we're going to look at some scriptural reasons why we should faithfully go to church each time we are physically able. It's a matter, first of all, of instruction because it is essential. It's a matter of instruction. It is essential. Going to church never made anyone a Christian, but if you do not go to church faithfully, you will never become a successful Christian. That is undoubted. You can and you should worship God privately, of course, in your own home. Have the closet door and close it and get in there and commune with God in Matthew 6 style. But we are disobeying God. We are robbing ourselves of a multitude of blessings if we are refusing to assemble with the people of the Lord in the place of public worship. No matter how we might argue to the contrary, we cannot live as well outside the church with the devil's crowd as we can inside the church with God's children. Going to church, what is it? It's a simple matter of obeying God's Word. And a single verse ought to be sufficient to answer the whole question of church attendance. And we have it here in Hebrews 10, verse 25. We have a warning, in fact, here, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. And if you note here, the writer, Paul, of this Hebrew epistle, in the immediate vicinity of the command that is given in chapter 10, verse 25, he is drafting for us two plain reasons why we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. One reason is By gathering together, we encourage and we spur one another on toward love and toward good deeds. Hebrews 10, the verse 23 and 24. And then beyond our text, 26, 27, the verses, that other reason is that the continued absence from the house of God can lead to willful sin. Two good reasons why we should obey Hebrews 10 and the verse 25 in the immediate passage here. So faithful, consistent, church attendance is required of God's people because, well, God has commanded it. It's a straightforward issue of whether or not I am obeying God's word. It's a matter of commandment. Now, none of God's commands is to be treated lightly, or considered as, well, it's my option as to whether I do or whether I don't. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13 declares, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. God is my creator. He is my maker. He is my master. He is my owner. He is my ruler. He can dictate to me, and I ought to respect obey his commandments. And is it not the case that some professing Christians today 
have greater respect for the orders of men than they do the commands of God? How long would you last in your job if you came to work only when it is convenient or only when you felt like it? We go to work faithfully because it's our responsibility to do so, not because we always like or have the feeling that we're going to enjoy going. Similarly, we should go to church not because we just feel like it, but because God has commanded it and we are responsible to obey Him. Another reference, and as it turns out, another command, in the same book, the book of Hebrews, underlines this necessity of attending God's house. Hebrews thirteen seventeen demands, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, submit to the authority of spiritual leaders within the boundaries of God's Word, of course, that submission is given. But God designed this system of accountability for the progress and for the protection of His flock. Now, the only obvious way in which I and you can fulfill Hebrews 13, 17 is when I and you are part of an organized fellowship that has identified elders and pastors and leaders. In other words, we can only fulfill it when we actually attend church. No one can genuinely be under submission to a television pastor who you've never physically met. It's not possible for me to be under submission by scampering back and forward to a different church every single week, whether physically or online. There are many people who find it so easy to sit at home and tune in over the internet, actually stay in one church for the entire service. Because I know some have told me, well, we tune here for the singing, And then we flick to see what the announcements are over there. And I'm sure Morris's announcements rate pretty high. And then we go over somewhere else and we pick up a sermon and we listen to part of that if we like it. And if we don't like it, well, we go to this church and that church and we move around. And by the time the one hour, one hour 15, one hour 30 is passed, they have hopped about, but they've not got a message start to finish. Snippet here, snippet there, somebody preaching in Revelation, somebody in Genesis, somebody in Ecclesiastes, some in Malachi. What's the point? That's a waste of time and a dereliction of duty for sure. And this instruction that we have in Hebrews 13, 17, completely rules out those one-man shows within the four walls of your own home. Again, the Bible tells us to know them that are over us in the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 12. And if we're going to obey that command, obey them, know them that are over you in the Lord, then that necessitates a commitment 
commitment and a relationship within a local body of believers and to their spiritual leaders. Another command that has a clear bearing on church attendance is the fourth commandment. The law that God gave to Moses over in, Gen- in Exodus 20 in the verse 8 where he tells us, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy that day of the week was to be set aside as a holy day to the Lord. And of course, we know that after our Lord Jesus Christ, He rose from the dead on the first day of the week, the Sunday, the Lord's Day. Those early Christians, they began to assemble together on this day. It was a combined observance of the old Sabbath and the resurrection day of Jesus Christ. And we read about it in Acts 20 and 7 in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2. And this day of Christian worship became known as the Lord's Day. Revelation 1 verse 10, a day to fellowship together in celebration of the resurrection, to worship, to pray, to study the Word of God together, to iron sharpening iron fellowshipping one with the other. And when we come to the Lord's house, on that day reserved for Him, we're not only obeying God's instruction in Hebrews 10, 25, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, we are also fulfilling His command to honor the Lord's day. Is it important that I and you should obey God's commands? Well, it's so important that obedience to God's command in the book is looked upon as a proof that you have truly been saved. 1 John 2 and verse 3 to 5 saying, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth my word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. First John 5, the verse 2 and the verse 3 declare, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. The difference salvation makes in any life, encourages God people to look out His commandments, seek to do those commandments, to keep them. If you're a child of God who has been born of the Spirit, washed in the blood of the Lamb, or on your way to heaven, then you will want to, want to assemble with the Lord's people. And on the Lord's day, you will find yourself lost if some circumstance has arisen that prevents you from doing that. Tom Ross testified, Before I was saved, I had little to no interest in the things of God, especially in going to church. However, once the Lord changed my heart, I couldn't get enough of church. I started going to church every time the doors were open. I wanted to express my gratitude to God for saving me from a life of sin, by worshiping and praising Him in the assembly of the saints. We prove our love to the Lord Jesus Christ through obedience to His holy commands. 
In John 14 and 15, it states, if ye love me, keep my commandments. John 15, 14, reversing the, the numbers there, declare, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. And so if I profess to be a follower, if I profess to be a friend, if I am saying I am one who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, then I need to strive to obey Him with every fiber of my being. And if I can, willfully and flagrantly forsake the house of God without being convicted of sin, without being charged with my disobedience, I have a serious spiritual problem. Direct and convicting are the words of our Lord in Luke 6 and 46, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say. He has commanded, I must obey. Church attendance, it is obligatory, not optional. So we're talking about instruction here. It is essential. We're talking, secondly, about illumination because it is edifying. Illumination, it is edifying. One of the greatest privileges of the Christian life is to join together with God's people in this fashion. In God's church for the purpose of worship, we gather at God's house to declare our allegiance and our loyalty to Almighty God. We gather here to express our love, our gratitude to God for who He is and what He has done in our lives. We gather together to bring our offerings of praise and thanks and honor that are pleasing to Him. We gather together to join with other believers to publicly bear witness of our faith and trust in God, and that's required, we know, of every single Christian, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. We gather together to show to other believers and to extend the view to the lost world at large that our Lord is worthy of our praise and our dedication. And so, when others are running to the shops and others are watching television and others are doing this and that and the other and just going about on the regular round of business and running up and down the Ravenhill Road and jogging all around the place, when that is happening, we say we have a business to get engaged in and that is to be in our place, in God's house, around His Word, worshiping Him. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 22, 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. And you know something the Lord deserves? He deserves the time and the energy that we are taking to honor him. In Revelation 4, the verse 11, they're crying, Thou art worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, I recognize that some people are motivated to go to church because of what they can get out of it. What can I get out of going to church? Will it do me any good? Is there an advantage for me in that? Well, actually, it will. I'm sure you're as aware as I am of the scientific studies that have been done that prove church attendance is actually good for your health. However, we should remember the primary purpose of our corporate gathering is to worship the Lord. Psalm 134 verse 2, joy and gladness 
should flood our souls each time we anticipate, I am going to God's house to praise His name. The psalmist declared, and we sang those words today, the metrical version, Psalm 122 and verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Psalm 26 and 8 has a similar theme. Again, in Psalm 84, remember how the psalmist there is getting so enthused, and he says, how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. How refreshing is it to be able just to step out of and cut ourselves loose from the rat race of this daily grind and life is becoming faster than ever, to worship God in the company of the saints. After dealing with the world all week, fielding issues all week long, public worship serves to revive our spirits and encourage our hearts. We love the place, O God. Wherein thine honor dwells, the joy of thine abode, all earthly joy excels. It is the house of prayer, wherein thy servants meet, and thy, O Lord, art there, thy chosen flock to greet. It sets us up for the week. We're there to worship the Lord. We're there to have fellowship with Christ. He's the head. He's the lawgiver of his churches. And as such, our Lord Jesus Christ is in attendance every time that the church assembles. Matthew 18 and 20 teaches that. There's a promise there, a promise of a special visitation of the Lord's presence, of the Lord's power, wherever two or more specifically gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 1 and 13, where do we find him? He is walking in the middle of his churches. In Ephesians 3 and 21, he has deposited his glory in the church. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus through all ages, world without end. Amen. So that leaves me with this conclusion and issue. And it's right on my doorstep. If Christ's glory and presence is found in his churches, Then should I not make every effort possible to assemble in his name and to enjoy his blessed fellowship. Since Christ has promised to meet with his people when they assemble in his name and do so together, should I not count that a most glorious privilege and ensure that whenever the church meets, my seat is not empty? I wonder what our dear Savior thinks. When people stay at home because there's something on TV that I'd rather pursue, or you know what, I'm going to potter around the garden today, or I'm going to jog around the park, rather than come to worship, fellowship with Him in His church on His day. The phone rang in the church office where U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt usually attended. 
And the person on the line was inquiring, are you expecting the president in church this Sunday? Oh, that I cannot promise, replied the preacher. But we expect God to be there. And that, he said, should be incentive enough for you to be there. People, will they not go to great lengths to be in the presence of a dignitary or a big star in the world of entertainment? And if they hear they're going to be in a certain place, certain time, they will be moving everything out of their schedule just to make sure they're there. He might shake my hand. He might speak a word to me. She might smile in my direction. Notice me. They might even turn up to church if they heard, as in the president's case, that they may be there. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the most important person in all the universe. We should never willfully miss an opportunity of fellowship with Him by neglecting God's house. And of course, in the Lord's house, we worship the Lord, we have fellowship with Christ, we fellowship with God's people. When you and I become a Christian, we're called into a relationship with God, 1 Corinthians 1 and 9, but the Bible makes it clear that a right relationship with God, it goes two ways. There's a vertical and there's also a horizontal alignment to it. That is, we have to have a vertical fellowship with God, prayer, Bible study, and a horizontal fellowship with other believers, integrating interacting with them all around 1 John chapter 1 verse 3 and verse 7. It's not possible to love God and refuse to love the brethren. If you have a problem loving other Christians, you have a major issue in your relationship with God. Matthew warns that unforgiveness towards others will void God's forgiveness for your own sins. Matthew 6 and verse 15, John insists, 1 John 2, the verse 9 and 10, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So one of the most important reasons that we go to church is to practice love toward the brethren in the form of fellowship. And the New Testament shows us that wherever Christians were within range of each other, what did they do? They met together. Every time. Paul the apostle came to a town or a city in the book of Acts where there was a number of Christians or even when there were no Christians and he came, he would have preached the word. When he saw converts one, he immediately did what? He organized them into a small group, a little local church. Acts 20, the verse 7, emphasizes the practice, therefore, of the early church. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. It just doesn't make sense 
to say that we are merely part of the, the worldwide, the universal church, and yet we refuse together with that segment of that universal church that exists in our geographical area. We just absent ourselves from that. It does not make sense. It'll be like claiming, I have a car. When the right mudguard of that car is here in Belfast, the engine of that car is in London, and the wheels of that car are in Dublin, you don't have a car. You have bits and pieces of a car scattered throughout all of these different locations. You might as well have a scrapyard. You don't have a functioning car, and it won't be functioning until all the pieces are brought together in one location and put together. The church must be together to carry out its many functions. The New Testament is full of one another commands. For example, we are to comfort one another, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 18. We are to build up one another, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11. We are to confess our sins to one another, James 5 and 16. We are to pray for one another, and many more, those one another commands. And it's difficult to obey those directives if we stay away from the gathering of believers. Tune in over the internet. You don't hear half of the needs that fellow believers have. And this togetherness comes across in figures of speech that we have in Scripture. For example, in Ephesians 5.23, in Colossians 1 and 18, we have Christ referred to as the head, the church referred to as the body. 1 Corinthians 12 further explains the church, the body, how it's made up of individuals who are pooling their skills, working together, their talents, their strengths are all brought together for the purpose of helping as many people as possible to get right with God, to grow closer to Him. It's a mutual ministry. And to refuse to be a part of the body is to say that we're not going to follow God's plan here. People who do solo runs are within themselves their own church, are suggesting they have a better plan than God has. And to say the least, there's a lot of arrogance in that thinking. We go to church to worship, to a fellowship with God's people. But the edification not only centers on worship, it centers primarily on the Word, the Word of God. We go to God's church to hear God's Word preached. The Holy Spirit tells us that God's practice is to appoint pastors to oversee and feed the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, the verse 11 through to 16, and that's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, that we henceforth be no more children. Write down that passage, the case is being made. You go to church to hear God's Word declared. 
And every time the church meets for worship, the pastor has that solemn responsibility of nourishing the saints of God with a substantial diet of the Word of God. And so he should go to great lengths to prepare messages from God's Word to edify the people, to challenge and to comfort. Time, much time should be spent in earnest study, in prayer, in meditation, in the preparation of sermons. God's gift of a preacher or a teacher, however, is wasted. The people decide we're going to sit at home. Out of respect for God's holy word and his ministers, church members should anticipate with joy, should faithfully attend each service of the church. Why? So that we can hear these glorious truths of the Bible being expounded. And the attitude of every church member is best exemplified by those Christians in Acts 10, the verse 33, Now therefore, they said, are we all here? present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Let me say this. If every church member fed their bodies like they feed their souls, some would be starving to death. There will be little to no growth in the Christian life if we are not getting this steady diet of scriptural preaching. First Peter 2 and 2 counsels, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. And if I decide, well, you know, today, no, I'm not going to attend church of other things to do. I'll attend next week, or maybe two weeks down the line, or maybe come once a month. And if we do it haphazardly, if we do it irregularly, we can't expect to grow up to a mature Christian. God's people will be more liable to error and false doctrine if they don't attend church in the way that they should. We go for it. It's an instruction. It is essential. We go to church because there's illumination there. It is edifying. And we have, we know, plummeting church attendance in these days. And in line with the plummeting church attendance, we have a rising tide of ignorance of God and departure from His Word and redefinition of sin. One is a consequence of the other. Why go to church? Instruction, illumination, imitation. Imitation, final reason, it is exemplary. If we claim to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, then there are admonitions that we need to pay heed to. First Peter 2 and 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. First John 2 and verse 6, He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Now, if I follow in the footsteps of Christ, and if I walk in the way that he walked, where will he lead me? If I am following in his footsteps, he will lead me into the Lord's house on the Lord's day. He will. By going to church, we are following the example of Christ. 
during his earthly life. Our Lord Jesus faithfully attended the synagogue. That's why you read again and again in the Gospels, he was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. It was a place of public worship for the Jews. They would gather there. They would read the law. They would have a teacher there who would expound the truths of the Old Testament. And what do I read? In Luke 4, the verse 16, for example, and he came to Nazareth, that is Jesus, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Now, if it was customary for our Lord to be found engaging in public worship on the Sabbath day, then it should be customary for me, his child, to be found in church on the Lord's day. I'm only following in his steps. If the great head and lawgiver of the church faithfully assembled to engage in public worship as his professed follower, should I not energetically strive to follow his example? More than that, we're following the example of Christ, but our church going acts as an example to others. Each time we prepare our hearts for public worship and faithfully attend the house of God, we are providing a template, a proper example for our children, other believers, the world at large, all around us, by the same token. Every time we say, no, I'm sitting at home today. Our car's parked in the drive. There's no good reason why we're parking in the drive. We're not lying in bed ill. We're not away in a hospital ill. We're not struggling with physical infirmity. We're just deciding we're not going to be there today because we have something else to do. Do you think the world don't notice? I thought he'd be at church. You must be able to do church another way. Or you can do it intermittently. Or you can choose to do it when you want. And we walk out the door and we're full of energy and strength and the world notes it. Oh, he just didn't bother. He's clearly okay. And so when we willfully neglect the house of God, our actions show that we have little respect for God in his ways. I agree with Milburn Cockrell who wrote, the indifference of church members to the institution that stands for Christ is the greatest hindrance to the progress of Christ's work. A person has no more interest in the souls of men and Jesus Christ than he has for Christ's church. What kind of example? Would we be setting our lost relatives, our indifferent, apathetic friends and neighbors, when we fail to go to church consistently? Even lost people scoff at a man or woman's religion if that religion doesn't have enough power to drive them out of their house on the Lord's day and take them to church. What do visitors think when they come into our churches on the Lord's Day and they see the building almost empty? Do they see a people? Or obviously not see the people that could be there, that should be there, 
who were clearly not committed seriously. What kind of example do we set our children? If we decide, well, a bit of sport today, or maybe go fishing today, or do another pleasure today, takes precedence over the Lord's house. Those are questions we should seriously consider when we think of willfully missing church for no good, valid reason. Our failure to attend church will have a corrupting influence on others. We can check out Second Chronicles 27 and 2 for the evidence of that. And he, that is Jotham, did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And according to all that his father Uzziah did, how be it, here's where he fell down, he entered not into the temple of the Lord. What was the consequence of that? And the people did yet corruptly. Jotham's failure to publicly worship the Lord, go into the temple, had a damning effect upon Ahaz, his son. It said of him in Second Chronicles 20 at the verse 2 and 3, for he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He didn't go into the house of the Lord, but I'll tell you what he did do, because the Bible notes what he did. He made molten images for Balaam. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and he burnt his children in the fire, and after the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. May God help us to remember that little eyes are watching the example we set for them and for others. A rather amusing advert appeared in the wanted section of the St. Charles, Minnesota Press. It read, wanted men, women, and children to sit in slightly used pews Sunday morning, Saratoga Congregational Church. Men, women, and children wanted to sit in slightly used pews Sunday morning. Saratoga Congregational Church. If the Lord has dealt with our heart and convicted us of willful neglect of His ways, we need to repent and seek to do His will. And every time we can, determine, I will faithfully attend His church. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-five. My praise shall be of thee in a great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. As I close, let me close with this line. If you and I in this church ever needed an example of someone who didn't fall, didn't falter, didn't feel, where this message is concerned. It was all of ore. And let's walk in that regular step that takes us to God's house and says, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation.